Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Kane Grau to the show. Kane is a CEO at Uptake, a Chicago-based industrial AI and analytics company. He is responsible for evolving their product suite, enhancing deployment and customer success, and optimizing company operations. Previously, Kane served in various senior executive roles with Car Global, the acquirer of Driven, which was a company he co-founded and served as CEO until April 2017. Prior to Car, Kane led various management roles within music dealers, apartments.com, cars.com, and Allstate. Kane also sits on various advisory boards, mentors local startups, and invests in technology-based companies in Chicago and Dallas. Welcome to the show, Kane. Thanks, Shelby. Thanks, Patrick, for having me. Kane, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit about Uptake. Yeah, so Uptake founded seven years ago by uh, Brad Keywell, very well known for other reputable companies in Chicago like Echo Logistics, Groupon. And, and, and many others. And, you know, the, really sort of the premise behind uptake and, and what we're doing is, as we all know, machines within heavy industries are generating more data than ever. And so you have these sensors that are creating endless data in countless and, and disconnected places. And so what we do is we take that data to help heavy industries solve their toughest challenges through insight into performance and basically predictive maintenance of those machines. And so we serve industries like oil and gas, energy, utilities, uh, transportation, manufacturing, and the government. And we're a worldwide entity and the market leader right now in industrial analytics. Pretty cool stuff. It seems like a, a perfect you know, Midwestern company, right? Tying together what's going to happen in the future with all of the heavy industry that's always been the backbone of so much of our economies. Absolutely. And you can, it, you, we're all reading about supply chain concerns and logistic concerns and, and everything that's happening. And so the dependency of uptake and the accuracy of our data and our predictive models are front and center for many, many companies right now, and specifically within transportation, where we have to get goods from point A to point B and ensuring that the trucks are safe and that they can actually move the goods with minimal issues. Pretty cool stuff. How did you, I, did, I know you've been with uptake Five, six, seven years, about a year and a half? Yeah, about a year and a half. I've known Brad for about 10 years. And prior to this, we, we were the, the co-founders of Driven. And essentially Driven, much like if you look at Eric Kowalski and Brad Keywell's sort of portfolio, is bringing uh, data, humans, and relevant technology together. I mean, that's really sort of their bread and butter playbook. And it was no different when we created Driven, which was this idea of walking on to, into a, a, a used car dealership and helping the general manager or the used salesman to understand profitability of the lot and what they should be stocking and what they should ultimately be disposing. And we actually took it a step farther to actually pull inventory out of markets where there was maybe too much or too little or you know, a, a combination of both. And we could balance markets out using data. So we would do everything from buy the car to selling the car, 
to transporting the car and to even up moving payment, moving money from dealership to dealership. And so we did that for about 24 months and then uh, eventually was acquired by Car Global. Very cool. Uh, one of the concepts that we, we talked about before was this concept around, you know, you've been in a space that's constantly evolving, right? There's just growing, seeking new opportunities, jumping on those opportunities, taking chaos and turning it into something a little bit more uh, predictable. This concept of a, a crash course MBA uh, is something you mentioned in a podcast I saw you in before. So I, I really want you, I'd love for you to, to share what that means to you, how that impacts the way that you view the world. Yeah. Yeah. The crash course MBA comes from what I think is really sort of identified me as a, identified my career, I guess, for all intents and purposes. So in 97, um, I was very fortunate to team up with a former executive that I had worked for previously. And we started uh, a company. There were, there were a couple of co-founders prior to me joining, but we started a company called eToys.com in Santa Monica. And we eventually became the world's largest toy store. And over that four-year period, you know, although I was really sort of in charge of technology, I was actually working in a warehouse. I was doing real estate deals. I was doing pretty much anything to keep the company moving forward and way, way in over my head, pretty much every day over that, that four-year period. And although the company was a, a disaster of sorts, we ended up going bankrupt and fire selling the asset. I would never, ever trade the four years for, for anything because as I would tell everybody, that was the crash course MBA. It's where I learned business. It's where I learned failure. It's where I learned scalability and predictability. And honestly, it's where I worked and it's where I still hold in the highest, highest regard of working with a high performance team. There was no such thing as quit and there was no such thing as giving up. And, and, and uh, if you look at that four-year period that we were in business, I mean, what we were delivering and how we were delivering it still amazes me to this day. And so, you know, the, the, the crash course MBA term comes from, from sort of that era. And at the end of that era, I said to myself, like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to build brands. I want to build companies. I want to potentially fail again if that's what it takes, eventually have a success. But it was such, a, such an amazing part of, my, uh, part of my career. If you could go back, I'm just curious, what advice would you give yourself? In that time period? Yeah, prior to that experience. Oh, that's, uh, and we could, we could do a whole other podcast on that one. So I'll give you a couple quick ones. Number one is I moved out and, and I, was, I was married for about six months upon taking that job. And I was divorced six months later and having worked 100 hour weeks for, from literally minute one until year four. And wow. I never went home for a holiday. Very rarely talked to my parents or friends. It was just work. Lived on a couch in my office, showered in the office, ate in the office, pretty much didn't leave the office uh, unless I was in a warehouse. And, you know, what I tell everybody is life is way too short to ever work like that. And I was actually just talking to Peter Wilkins about this and, and, and explaining that, you know, you need harmony in your life. You need balance in your life. And just going back and looking at that whole time frame is just being so consumed with work and not having any other identity outside of that. I would never, ever do that again. I mean, to the point now where it is literally like my priorities in life are my wife, my kids, and my work. And it's in that order and it's very specific to that order. And, but it took those four years to learn that. And um, that's where I'd go back and, and, and probably reevaluate. 
That's pretty interesting. And I think specifically during times like now, right, this is really important information about finding balance because I think it's easy to kind of slip into an unhealthy norm of like, uh, I think we see it. There's a lot of people working a lot more hours, not sleeping on couches and, you know, like showering and, you know, bathing every morning in in some sink in a a warehouse, but it's less pernicious, but I think it's as impactful of like, uh, you know, we're not making time to go for walks. We're not making time to get out of the house. We're not making time to spend, you know, maybe too much TV, too much on the phone, those kinds of things. It's, it's really important stuff. I did want to seize on that concept of learning through failing. You know, it is hard for a lot of people to, you know, in, in 97, 98, the universe is a whole different place than it is now. The concept like Amazon was a good idea in 97, right? It's not this world domination tool that it was. It had bad branding. It was a terrible website and they sold books that somebody manually packaged. So to think about like that from a 97 chaos standpoint and like learning, you know, like uh, you went hard and like the idea that like, uh, you know, the world was so different then. Right. Uh, it was a gold. It was it was the modern. I mean, let's call it back then the modern day. It was the modern day gold rush. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I was living literally living in New Jersey and moving to the West Coast to, to to build this company. And so it was, you know, we can go back to that century. And I was, you know, and we all thought back then. I mean, if you really think of like what we were doing in 1997 and the introduction of really internet and e-commerce and everything that was sort of happening we all thought we were going to be millionaires, right? And so failure, because there were so many millionaires and it was happening every day, you were just seeing another company and another company IPOing. And and we, I mean, even our IPO, I mean, you know, what I was worth on paper and then what I was worth after year four and going through bankruptcy looked very, very different. And psychologically, that was a that was really hard to get through. I mean, that was some years of therapy for, you know, full transparency. And so, Failure comes in a lot of different forms and flavors, and it's not one size fits all. And, and I failed in smaller companies and just things I've tried on my own. But I will tell you is that every failure is truly a learning. And it, and it sounds cliche and it sounds, you know, everybody always says that, but that is the truth is that I felt like that those four years would never, ever be wasted because what I had learned and what I had built and, and some of the things that I had solved that were an utter disaster, I got put back in that position again. And the learnings were strong enough and they were ingrained in my, in my memory well enough to say, we're avoiding this. And I can counsel senior leadership at all state for all intents and purposes to say, we're not doing this. this. This is what this will lead to. And here I am in a multi-billion dollar conglomerate or a multi-billion dollar insurance company at that point and saying to a CEO, to, to, to Tom Wilson, like, don't do this. This is a really, really bad idea. I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not gone through eToys or I had not gone through a couple other companies after that. I agree a hundred percent. I think there's uh, the idea that like, look, you're just taking a lot of the lessons. <laughs> you're accelerating the learning, right? Yeah. When you're doing stuff like that, it's like, well, do you want, do you want to get to this point of knowledge and wisdom in two decades or do you want to do it in five years? Right. Yep. Absolutely. You're taking the punches, right? Like right. if you want to get anywhere in life, you're going to take the punches. Do you want to take them quickly? Put it in. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. We can either get there fast or slow. Your choice. And I, and I think that is part of the, the challenge when, you know, a lot of people are thinking about entrepreneurship or they're thinking about being you know, agent of change in their organization. Uh, they see a lot of that, you know, 
going to get punched in the face for want of a better term. But one of the things I, I always try and encourage, especially with, with founders is like, you know, if you look at all the things that are getting in your way, you're right. It looks overwhelming, right? But if you just turn it to the side a little bit, you can see that like they're not all coming at one time, right? Absolutely. I use this metaphor of like a, a running back's job is to make the first guy miss. That's it, right? Because the world changes after you make that first guy miss, right? Absolutely. You don't know who's going to get blocked. You don't know what's going to get changed. But I think a lot of people stop themselves from taking some of these, these big risks because they could see all of the punches, but not realizing they're not coming today, right? One might be like a year off. So, yeah, and absolutely. And I think a lot of it, what I've learned, you know, having been a founder now a couple different times and, and is that you just can't also do it all on your own. And I think you're at, you're at a different place in your life. If you're much younger and you're starting a company and you just don't have the experience nor the failures or, you know, you think you got to do it all on your own. And then you think you get later in life and you've, you're like, wow, like I actually need to rely on that person or I actually need to rely on that partner. And I can't do it all on my own. And, and again, I think that just comes from like, we've been talking about the theme of just learning. Yeah. It's a great point. Right? Cause I do think when you're younger, you think like, I'm going to white knuckle this whole thing. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yep. And I'm going to work the hours. I'm going to work the hundred hours to get it done. I, I brute force. Right. And it's, that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't survive. Yeah. You know, one of the other uh, great concepts we talked about before is being authentic as a leader, right? So moving into that, like, uh, you know, I want to be seen as this visionary. I want to be seen as this, this wizard, right? Realizing that that's not really uh, a survivable goal, right? Like the idea of being, look, I, I need to be a leader. I have to create influence with other people. I got to set vision. I got to set direction. I've got to do these things, you know, as a CEO, as a founder, as a, you know, one of the concepts you brought up was, was that authentic. So how do you use that? Why is that important to you and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I think what, what really means to me to be authentic is, is we go back, I go back to the, a lot of the, I've been blessed like over 25 years and, and the number of really, really good leaders that I've, I've just worked for and that I've, I still talk to many of them to this day and in, in, in the sense of mentorship. And this idea that I've always said is like leaders are always under construction. If you think you've nailed leadership and it's and you've learned it all, like you've got a long, long ways to go. And it's 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 every day you got to be under construction and you just you got to be listening and you got to be adapting and you got to just and 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 the world's changing so fast, right? Like the way I led ten years ago has zero relevancy in the way I lead today. And so I think it's uh, the people that I've worked for and the characteristics that I've appreciated that I've molded myself around, but also kept myself true to val to values that are really important to me that might not have been important to them, but very, very important to me. And I had a, you know, I had a pretty strict upbringing with my parents and the way we treated people and our manners. And a lot of that is just instilled in like the way I treat employees and the way like I will never ask an employee to do something I wouldn't do for myself. I just believe that in my heart of hearts. So a lot of the authentic, it, when I say authentic, it's you want to learn from the best, but you also want to put it in a way that it, it adapts and it doesn't look like you're trying to copy something. And then what I will, a real-time example that's very, very recent is working for Brad. Brad is an amazing, amazing visionary. Brad moves at 100 miles an hour. Some people can keep up with him. Some people can't. And the talk that he and I had when I decided to come into Uptake and, and really sort of take over the day-to-day -day is I, I was very truthful. And I said, listen, I don't want to be you right? I want to be me. And what I want to do is I actually want to have like 
my spin on uptake. And I want to be able to do what I want to do with uptake, but I want to be able to use everything that you've taken, all the goodness for the last six years and apply that into what we're doing. And I think like that struck a chord with him, a positive, in a positive way that struck a chord with him because again, like I needed to be me. If I was going to be him, this would have been another disaster. And because it just wouldn't have been real. You know, I don't think people would have bought in. And the first thing I did was I started surrounding myself with people better than me. And honestly, people that were, that helped scale businesses like where we need to be as a SaaS company, things that I didn't have experience in um, and said, listen, I'm hiring you to do this. Like my CEO, Linda Bartman, she runs the day to day. I have zero qualms of, or, you know, I don't have, I, I, I have, you know, all the respect in the world for her to be, basically say she runs the day to day. I'm trying to stay strategic. I'm trying to stay visionary. I'm trying to move the company forward. She is the operator of the company for all intents and purposes. And so that's what I mean by authentic is just is getting true with yourself. You know, and again, I think this is, I wouldn't be able to say this at all when I was, you know, 25 and probably coming out of college in my second job or third job. But at some point, I think you you get comfortable in your own skin to be able to say, I'm not good at that. I need to go hire for that. Or the way I like this now, this idea of that the people that I hire are people that I ultimately would work for in many circumstances. Like I would report to that person if I'm hiring you on the executive leadership team. And so that's what I think of when I when I think of, of being authentic. And I, I guess I would say one other thing that's really important too. There's a lot of people that say they believe in culture. There's a lot of people that say they want the best working environment possible for the employees. And then I watch them, you know, I don't say, I don't want to stereotype or anything, but in some certain circumstances, I see they, they do the polar opposite. And I only put my feet on the floor in the morning to go to work because I love the people I work for. I, I, I am wired as a culture cultivator, a, um, a culture creator. And I just believe, and I, and the day I took a rub take, I said to the employees, I said, you're the number one priority. It's not the customer. The customer is a priority, but the employee is the number one priority. Because if I believe that the employee is happy and our employee satisfaction is great, the customer will always get taken care of. And, and I've just always dumped all my, really a lot of my, my effort goes into making sure that we have a really, really strong culture and more than ever because of what we just talked about. I mean, Zoom is tough. It's really, really tough to stay in touch with these with with the with the the workforce. That's a great point. I think it's uh, that authenticity. You've got to really be doubling down on it now, right? Like you've got to find ways to 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 sweat it out, to bleed it out, so that people can see it, feel it, touch it. Right? It used to be one thing. There was that human pheromone concept. You'd be around each other, and there would be some of that would be picked up from you know just being around each other. But now you you've got to be very deliberate about it, right? You've got to be very clear. Well, yeah. I mean, like when we were building Driven and every Friday afternoon at three o'clock, it was basically like beers out, pens down. Let's celebrate a couple accomplishments. And let's talk about the new product feature that's coming out. And everybody gets super excited. And, you know, it was like the best day of the week and it was every week. And we just felt so good about, you know, and now like you got to be really conscious by that. And what you got to do is, is like a leader, you've got to put the time in and you got to call the person. You don't rely on Slack and text and email. I like pick up the phone and call the person and say, I can't believe how great of a job you just did this week. And do you understand the impact you made on this, this, and this? Or, oh my God, like what a great sale. 
you know, we were, we've been trying to get in this account forever. It's such a great job. Like that human contact right now is so, so important because we're living 12 inches away from a screen. And in many circumstances, I think everybody's multitasking and it's like, you know, you don't get that, that drop by at the desk or that happy hour or whatever it might be like that. Those days are, it's, it's really changed. Shelly, you got uh, some thoughts or question? No, I'm just, it's so interesting and I, I couldn't agree more. It's been so tough with Zoom and I just, I get so excited when I walk in the office and, and see other people. <laughs> and I guess I'm just curious, Kane, because I'm sure all of our listeners want to know, are there any nuggets or things that, that they can do, right, to keep their employees engaged during this time that you found successful? Oh man, I, I wish I had the uh, I wish I had the magic thing to say, but I mean, I think you know, I, I guess a couple things, and I, I ask a lot of questions of of local leaders too of what they're doing. Like Amanda Lannard at Jelly Vision's been great to like you know, her culture is I always put in the highest highest regard, and you know she does random happy hours and you know trivia and and all sorts of types of things over Zoom and and. You know, and we do the same thing. I mean, and, and I think anything to keep the employees engaged. We had a really great holiday, virtual ha uh, holiday, like kind of happy hour where we sent everybody uh, from distillery, we sent them like a, a mixology kit and we all made the same drink through the distillery. And we had non-alcoholic too for those that didn't drink. And and it was great. I mean, it was fantastic. And it, it you know, and it, it bridged that gap until we can figure out whatever this normalcy looks like. But I, I'll tell you what, what's interesting. And I think we're all going through this is we're no longer hiring local. Right. I mean, I think now, because we don't, I think we're always going to be in a hybrid situation is we're hiring wherever we can get the best talent. So if that means I'm hiring a person in Phoenix and yeah. LA and Maine and wherever, like, so this is the norm for some sort. And I think we will go back to the office at some point, but we have to all adapt and we have to figure out platforms to keep us connected. And I do think as a leader, like you have to be every single day checking in in whatever way you deem necessary. For me, it's a phone call, but I check in every day with five, 10, 12 people. And I, I just think it's the, it's the best way to do it right now. Yeah. I think, you know, a text, a Slack and an email just doesn't do it. Yeah. So you touched on the, the subject of a visionary, right? People that you know, people you've worked with, people who are really just kind of wired at that high rate of speed and just kind of have a, an askewed view of the world. What is a what makes a great one? Because I think there's all again, like you mentioned, like when you're 25, 26, aspirationally, I think most people are like, oh, I think I could be that role. But it's not really, I don't think it's a role you choose. And, you know, I don't think it's something. You know, as opposed to leadership, which you said, you know, and I agree, you you constantly have to be building on, and and the Dunning Kruger effect is definitely there for most people of like, oh, I've got it nailed, and it's like if you think you do, you really haven't even started. But from like a visionary standpoint, I do think some of that is just, you know, I, I think about people who have dyslexia, and because of it, they've got a whole different perspective of the world and the way that they process information, and that unique opportunity, that unique. Uh, differentiator really sets you on a different direction. So what makes a, a great visionary from your experience? You know, we're seeing a lot of these organizations being built and grown. Yeah. I, I look, I mean, I, I can't say it's one thing. I think it really depends. You know, I, I, I'll go back to using Brad as example is I've always found and specifically with Brad is how curious he is. He's made his wealth. He's, he's done very, very well. 
you know, he's, he's got numerous publicly traded companies, but he's never stopped being curious. And not only just being curious, but going out and validating the idea. So it's one thing to be curious, but then it's go out and say, okay, I'm curious about this. Would this succeed? Would this fail? Let me try it, right? In, in, in certain circumstances, I mean, even the way Uptake was created for all intents and purposes was, you know, meeting the CEO of Caterpillar and saying, what do you do with 13 million machines of data? And it, and it goes to Peoria, Illinois, and it sits and rots. And he's like, well, give me, give me a locomotive and let me go figure out if I can predict failure. That's how Uptake was started in a nutshell. Like that's visionary, right? Like that that curious, being being curious and saying, what do you do with data? Let me create a new business from that. There's the visionary. There's also, though, the visionary of, you don't have to necessarily be like that far reaching. In a lot of circumstances for me, because I'm product wired, I'm like a product guy at heart. And where my juices get flowing is when I'm in front of a customer. And when I'm in front of a customer is like, it's always for me, like the, it's the most exciting time of, of the year. And I try to see as many as I can. But when I'm in front of the customer, and they say, I'm having this problem. I'm trying to solve this. We can't do that. And your mind's just racing 100 miles an hour, right? And then you got to come back and you got to validate it. And then you got to be able to sell it internally. And then you actually got to be able to build it and deliver it and everything else. And so that's for me, like when I would, for me personally, being a visionary is it's not just seeing forward thinking. It's also being able to take that and boil it down to something that the workforce can understand. And most importantly, the why, like I've been out and seen, I've seen 10 customers. I've seen this problem 10 times. We have a solution that could do this, but then how do you actually go do it? How do you build it? How do you deliver it? Um, and that's typically the hard work. So there's visionaries that just have ideas, but nothing really actually comes from it. There's other visionaries where you see it, you build it, you deliver it, and it's actually so, it, it can be successful or it can be a failure. We've already discussed that. So, you know, that's that's really what I sort of enjoy. And, and I guess like people that I surround myself with is um, I always have a very, very deep appreciation of it's not just the idea generation. It's how do you take the idea and do and, and really bring it to life? Yeah, one of the when we discussed this before, you had also mentioned, I think this is great that a visionary is willing to hear no, right? They're 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 curious, they're not in love with their idea enough that like they squelch open conversation, but they almost encourage it. It almost seems like uh, everything seems to be a little bit of like a science experiment of like oh. Yeah, especially, I mean, you know, we're in the industrial uh, analytics space, we're in the IoT space, and it's it's as green field as green can be, right? It's endless, endless ideas, and we're approached every day with a new one, and you got to be able to say no. And, I mean, I say no 10 times the time I say yes, and it's because we got to stay focused, and you got you to gotta trust the plan, and you got to trust the people around you that have empirical evidence and data and have talked to the right people, the customers, you know, all the above, and to bring that back and say, okay, this is why we're doing it. And that's part of being a visionary as well, is, is you're absolutely right, is sometimes no is much better than saying yes. So if somebody, you know, you're, you're talking to your, yourself, and some of this is luck, right? We fall into luck when, when it comes to 100%. our careers, right? 100%. And it's like, it, it's a blessing that you were there at eToys. And, and so... For those who haven't gotten as lucky to, you know, engage in so much failure as you have, 
<laughs> how would you, what would you say to like somebody younger? Like, Hey, uh, how do you tell them like, Hey, go, go do this. What would you, what would you, what would you say to, to, you know, a younger person who's, you know, at a safe job, making good money. They're on that path of like, Hey, here's predictable outcomes. What would you say to them? So look, I mean, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a right path and a wrong path. And and if you think that you're just, you know, you think the path is, is going to be straightforward. It's, it's a, it will never, ever happen that way. And, and Rob Chesney, the former CEO of Trunk Club and at, at Chicago Ventures, he's a very good friend and, and, and been a mentor of mine over the years. And, you know, he, he gave me this, this really fun analogy one time and I was a driven and I was like, sort of, you know, we, we get in those highs and lows. I was probably in a weird spot at the time. And I said, um, you know, I was asking for advice. And he said, listen, you didn't go to Six Flags and hop on the merry-go-round. Like that's pretty predictable, right? That's going to go the same direction. It's going to go at the same speed. And he's like, you're on like the X-Wing fighter and that thing's going to drop you 300 feet out of the sky with five loops. And you're not going to know what hit you when you hit the ground, like when you get back down to the ground. And I was like, wow. And, and it really put it in perspective for me is this, you know, for the younger generation, this is what I will say is when I, I, when I became a database administrator in 91, my goal was to be a CIO. I, that's, I want to carry a briefcase. I want to be in Philadelphia on the 31st floor of second and market. And I want to be a CIO and walk in every day and be like a chief, you know, chief information officer. I became a CIO probably 10 years later, and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> every single minute, I hated it because I wasn't, I wasn't using the muscle that I was sort of born with, which was innovating and developing. I was actually like in a reactive mode, and I was like sort of keeping things moving and just in a, like in a really, really just boring environment. And, and so I, had a, I reinvented myself to get out of that. And what I would tell the younger generation is you think you know what you want to do, but explore every possibility to make sure that you're not stuck in that. And I've gone and tried sales and I've gone and tried marketing. I've gone and tried product and I've gone and tried every other than maybe like just being like a, an accountant. Like I've tried every single sort of business role to check box to say, what do I really like and what drives me personally? And what are things I actually really hate and I just don't want to do anymore, right? And I think you just have to stay open-minded, especially in the world we live in right now. And, the, and these opportunities that are being created is just stay very, very open-minded. And I would also say is you got to be curious and you got to be adaptable to the way the world is changing, right? It's like, I go back to things that I was doing two years ago look very, very different right now. All, you know, the way we operate a business, the way we communicate with employees, all of it looks very, very different than when you think of two years ago. And so um, I think learning, I think getting mentors, I think doing some things for free sometimes, like, you know, just going out and saying, I want to learn this. And I'm, I know I'm not going to make a dollar on it, but I'm super curious of the way this works. All of that, I think is just, is, is really, really important for development. But I think it's the most important thing I tell people is I know you probably, you know, maybe you have a dream to do this, but just stay open-minded along the way because there might be something much bigger out there that you you want to do or you should be doing. I love that advice, Kane, because you would probably agree that even though you tried many of those roles and may have hated some of them, it probably made you a better leader because you have more appreciation and understanding of what those folks do. 100%. 100%. And, and 
you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example of car. So I was, I was a literally, I was one of nine officers in a publicly traded company. I was president of data as a service company got acquired. I had a really, really big role within, within car. And we, we acquired a company in Canada and it was very similar to driven. And I enjoyed, I loved, loved what we were doing at driven. Like, I just thought it was, we were so far ahead of the curve and it was so innovative. And I decided to go run sales for North America for this entity that we bought. And everybody, when I, when I made the decision, everybody said, wait a minute, you're going to leave being an officer and you're going to go run North American sales for this entity. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, why would you do that? And I said, because A, I love what I did at Driven and be in front of the customer. B, I know the product and C, I, I, this is what I think I was wired to do. And so I ran sales for about 18 months and loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I wouldn't, if I had not done Driven, I would, I would have never done that role. In a million years, I would have never signed up for that role. And sales and, and doing that for a year and a half and traveling 200,000 miles. Now, when I talk to salespeople at Uptake, again, I have the appreciation for, you know, hey, our product doesn't do this, this, and this. You're absolutely right. And I'm sorry that you're in the position and that you're trying to sell this. So getting with product and getting the features built or doing whatever we have to do to make sure the sales team's happy. If I hadn't done sales, I don't think I'd have the appreciation for understanding what our sales team's going through day to day. That's great stuff. And I, I, you know, as an engineer and then having to learn sales, there should be more appreciation for both sides, right? It's, 100%. It's a hard job. Everybody should go through sales at some point in their life because I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. It is hard. It's, you know, here it is zero every month, right? I mean, it's the clock restarts, you know, the first of the month and you're, you know, you're back to square one and, and yeah, it's, it's, um, but yeah, I, I, I loved, loved that 18 months. Awesome. Hey, uh, I think we could keep this going for like, I don't know, another nine days. <laughs> but uh, I honestly, I, I really want to just say how much I appreciate you spending your time to share your experience and your wisdom. It's really amazing stuff. Congratulations on all the success and all the failures. Yeah, You don't get one without the other. You do not. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the, the conversation. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, we also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.